Welcome to Study Isaiah, a podcast where we examine the language, historical context, and meaning of the book of Isaiah with Dr. Paul Wegner. I'm Tyler Sanders, and across from me is Dr. Wegner, who's going to tell us the Hebrew word of the day. And are you ready for this? <laughs> it's the name Isaiah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one to, to handle early in yeah, this podcast. Yeah. It's Yasha. Uh, Yahoo, actually, at the end. Um, and and just like a lot of names that have the, a divine name in it, like Daniel has the name El at the end, or Jeremiah has the name Yahweh at the end. So Isaiah has the name Yahweh at the end, although it's a shortened form. Oh, I tell, didn't tell you what it means, Yeah, though. let's get the whole meaning. Yeah, let's, get, let's add the two things together. We have Yahweh. That's yeah. part of it. Okay. The and second the, part, right? Well, actually, yeah. Yep. And the first part is uh, saves or salvation. Uh, names are hard to know whether they're verbs or nouns. So most people say it's Yahweh is salvation or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Now, Yahweh is a very fascinating word it is. in Hebrew, and I would love for you to walk us through some of those interesting pieces of it. Okay. Can we go through all the names for God? Let's do that. <laughs> Let's right. go back even further. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. There, I, I tried to think, what different names for God would you guys be familiar with? And one would be El which is a name for God, and it's more of a general term. And you see that, like in uh, Emmanuel, it's, it's got Iman with, with us. Uh, Emmanu is the uh, with us, and then El, so it's God is with us. Yeah. Okay? So, so that's El. Then the more common one is Elohim, which is a plural ending on that noun, um, and uh, commonly said to be a plural of majesty or a, a majestic plural or a plural of, of honor or something like that. It's usually called that. Um, and that makes sense, I think. Um, the next name would be the Lord. And that that's one, you'll see it commonly in your translation as capital L and then capital O-R-D, but those O-R-D are going to be smaller letters. That's because the conventional way to do Yahweh. But Yahweh is a, a unique word, and we'll, we want to get into it in a minute, but I need to tell you two more words. One is Lord, and that would be capital L, small o, uh, small r, and small d. And that's actually another name for God sometimes, and it's more like master or or um, Lord, okay? But it's it's another name for it. It's, it's, it's separate from Yahweh. So is it more of a generic term? It's probably more of a general name, but it's it's that one is always used for God. Okay. Okay. And then there's one more, my Lord. Um, that's usually a human Lord or master or something like that. Sarah calls Abraham her Lord or her oh, husband okay. yeah. in Genesis 18, 12. Yeah. So that one is more of a, um, that's your general term. And, yeah. it, and, it, and it actually has a suffix on it, my Lord. Oh, I didn't tell you the one right above that actually has a plural suffix on it. So it's matching like the name Elohim, only it's Lord. Another one would be like majestic plural kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Now let's get into the one that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, usually the word Lord, and remember we talked about it being capital letters, only the O-R-D are going to be smaller than the first L. And this is pretty common in English translations. Yeah. And you'll see it. They're re- working to tell us yeah. often which which Hebrew word yeah. referring to God is. is and I'd used, actually yeah. even argue that the specific name that's used for God is usually 
there for a reason. Uh, it's either highlighting a characteristic of God or something like that. So the different names are just fascinating for God. And, and, and I think it's really important that we know what they are. Yeah. And Elohim is usually the more general name for this all-powerful God. Yahweh is the, the personal name for God. Um, in Exodus chapter 6, it talks about, I'm going to make my... Uh, self known as Yahweh to them. And then later he makes a covenant with uh, Abraham. And so he's, he, it's right. his personal name that it, he's yeah. making known to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is we have no idea what the vowel pointings are. The four consonants from Yahweh are basically what we know God revealed in the, uh, when the first texts were written, they didn't have vowel points. Right. Those didn't come around till like 500 to 800 AD. Right. So, so these are unpointed texts. As far as we can tell, the Jewish people did not want to blaspheme and by saying God's name. So what they did is every time they got to that tetragrammaton, we call it the four letters, they actually put the, the vowel pointings for the Lord onto it. So every time you see that name Yahweh, they actually are actually pronouncing the name Lord, the Lord. Here's, here's my word Adonai over here, and it's taken the vowel points off and put on the four consonants from Yahweh. That's actually where you got the name Jehovah. If you take okay. the, the Yod in, in German, the Yod is a J, mm -hmm. then you have a schwa, which would be a, a, like an E, then you have an H, then you have an O from the holom there. Actually, in Hebrew, the holom wow is one, one letter. It's, it's, right, it's right. a vowel. Right. But what they've done is they've actually pronounced the holum, the wow, and the, the, the comets underneath it as three different letters. Right. Even though they're not. Okay. Right. And then there's a hey at the end. Yeah. So we actually know that Jehovah is not the real name for right. God. So the Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witness are actually <laughs> wrong. But instead, so, so what that is, is a mega, made up name so that every time they got to the Tetragrammaton, they would say the Lord rather than what his real name was. So, in actual fact, we really don't know how to pronounce his name. Yeah. Um, that's they're getting the best to it, we got. And when they're reading it in Hebrew, they're seeing the consonants for Yahweh. Yes. But the vowels for yep. Adonai, essentially. Yeah. And that kind of clues them in, say this, Adonai. Yes. Yep. So it, that you don't accidentally blaspheme. This is called a perpetual Kare. They're always pronounced this this way. Okay. But in actual fact, there are other ones that they, they do this commonly in the Hebrew. Well, I wouldn't say commonly, but they do it regularly in the Hebrew text. Um, if they want you to print, to say it, to pronounce, they, you see what the consonants are, but they want you to say something else. They'll put the vowel points of the other word on there. And that, that does happen other places. So okay. it's not like this is unique. It oh, does happen yeah, yeah, other yeah. places. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so when this fits into Isaiah, mm -hmm. how exactly is that working? Is it using a shorter version of Yahweh? Yes, it is. Um, in fact, names can actually do that and quite often. So if you look at the, like Isaiah, Israel only pronouncing the Yod and then an, an A vowel and then the He, mm -hmm. but his name is Yahoo at the end. So in actual fact, it has a, a, a Shurik at the end or a U vowel, yeah. um, even though that's like the next shortest way to say it. And then, right. so, so you've got it just the first two letters, then you've got it with the, the Vav on there. And then you can say the whole name Yahweh. 
So it's interesting. Um, A lot of times the names do have the Yahoo on it, even though most of the time we don't pronounce that. Yeah, we just pronounce it. Yeah. I don't know if that's a hard H, but we end it on an H sound. Yeah, and we were talking about this. I'm not exactly sure why um, we don't pronounce the the U on the end. You know, Mm -hmm. Isaiah U, we could have done it, but... But yeah. we usually don't. For some reason. Yeah. And I've seen that. I've seen those shortened forms on coins, too. They just have oh. the... Where God's name is there, it just has uh, one or two of the letters. Huh. Yeah. Usually two. Interesting. Not okay. one. Yeah. And it just kind of clues people in. This is what we're... Yeah. They know that a yod Hey means Yahweh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's an abbreviation for it. Okay. Yeah. So that's that's our names for today. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Let's do it one more time. Okay. Let's pronounce the word of the day, Isaiah, in okay. Hebrew one more time. Okay. Let's so go we, back we to we it. Get it. Yeah. All right. So it's Yasha mm-hmm. Yahoo. Yasha Yahoo. Yeah. And then now we would say it Isaiah without the U on yeah. the end. And yeah. it is Yahweh's yeah. salvation or yeah. potentially Yahweh saves. That it could, could be, be that the verb too. version. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'm assuming that his name is important to the context of the text, right? Because mm-hmm. in actual fact, God does save. It's going to take a lot longer. Remember, my we talked about last week about. Um, I think the the theme of the book is will Israel ever obey? And I think right. the answer is yes, but it's going to be a lot longer time down the road, and it's going to be a lot fewer. It's not going to be the whole nation. Yeah, It'll be a, a remnant. remnant from them. A remnant, yeah. right? So it it does fit the book really well. Well, that's good. And I think that will help us get into our next segment where yeah. we start to discuss, before we get into the actual meat of the text a little bit, we're going to get into literary techniques that we're going to be okay. seeing used a lot. Uh, yeah. So I think the first one you have for us is parallelism, or actually you call it Hebrew yeah. parallelism. This is all over the book. You know, Not every place, because there are narrative sections, but Isaiah mostly is like a a semi-poetic format. So you'll see a lot of Hebrew parallelism. And, and usually you can tell it by there's two units, and usually the second unit will say almost the same thing as the first one does. Mm. Look at that first one. An ox knows its owner, a donkey is master's manger. Right. See, okay, so you got different animals, but they're basically saying the same thing. Yeah, they're relating the same way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other one, but Israel does not know, my people do not understand. See, there it's real clear, Israel is my people, and they don't know, they don't understand. Now, each one of those words are just have slight different connotations, but it's it's really trying to get at that these are saying the same thing, basically, in two different phrases. And sometimes, like at the bottom one, I've got three phrases there where Mm -hmm. it does. So you usually have two, but sometimes you will have a third one that also says the same thing. And I, I wanted to make sure you could see uh, that they do a variety of them. And you can see they have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. Yeah. So uh, every one of them is basically saying the same thing. And in this way, this repetition, these parallel thoughts, is this to like yeah. kind of hammer in a point, to emphasize a point more? It probably is. I mean, I'm sure Hebrew parallelism was... I mean, think about this. This is going to have to take a writer some time to consider what what you're going how you're going to say it and how you're going to the second unit how you're going to advance it or or something and usually i mean there's two different kinds of of thoughts on this uh one is that um 
A equals B. That that you know. So the first, yeah, first unit, thought and second thought equals yeah. yeah. Um, and that and there is some they call it synonymous parallelism, mm. and that happens in the biblical text sometimes. Yeah. But almost all of the time, when you say when you use a different word, it's going to have different connotations. So it's going to it's either going to highlight a different element or or take it a little deeper than the first one. So the second. Uh, way that people have tried to explain parallelism is A and what's more B. So it's it's the first unit and then the second unit takes it a little further. Uh, like these ones, I'm not sure would do that, but look at, look at verse uh, four, alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity. So that weighed down with iniquity is yeah. probably highlighting a little more emphasis on, yeah. on what's happening to them. Or maybe illustrating. Even. Uh-huh. Yeah. Kind of giving you how. Yeah. So that's why people have said A and what's more B. So it, it yeah. advances that idea just a little further. It may even work for the second one, really. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they don't know, they do yeah. not understand, understands a little different yeah. connotation of just than just knowing something. Yeah. And the, the problem with Hebrew is that, you know, all these words have a range of meaning. Mm. So so almost every, it, it's, it's very rare that you ever get two words that, totally overlap in meaning. Yeah. So every time you use a different word, it is going to highlight a little different characteristic or yeah. modify it to some extent. And this seems pretty easy for an English reader, yeah. you know, reading the Bible to pick up on. Are there any other ways that people may, or any techniques people can use to try to look for these and make sure they find them? Uh, you know what? The, often a, a good Bible translation will put the lines in a, a certain way so that like narrative will just just keep running on the lines. Um, poetry, usually they try to uh, highlight the balance in them. So right, on, right when you read your uh, English translation, you'll see right away that the author, whoever, or the uh, publisher, whoever they were that put those connotations in there, were trying to help you see yeah. what they were doing. Yeah. So, so that is, I, I think that's your easiest way. Just go to they're, a good Bible translation that will, yeah, will highlight that. Yeah. But I think then the next way is just be aware of it. I mean, because if you, if you, if you practice this a little, it'll actually really help you. I, I'm teaching Psalms at my church and, and it really does help them to understand, oh, they, they've said something again. But now that's said in a slightly different way, but it's still trying to tell you the same idea. And so I, I think that's really helpful for people. I imagine and, it would be helpful just for people to know it's purposeful. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, right. Just so you're not kind of like, man, why do they keep yeah, yeah, breaking saying this the up? same yeah. thing? Like, why, you know, like, and, and that's true. Like, in, I think a lot of times in English when we write, it yeah. is always about compression and condensing, Yeah, uh, uh, you know, perhaps not in poetry, but... You know, in this case, this is a purposeful technique yeah. to highlight a point, really. But but you said uh, maybe not in poetry, but in actual poetry. Isn't that what the core of what poetry is all about? Yeah. Trying to pack as much into that's true, yeah. a, a set number of words as, as possible. And I think I think that's what the author's doing. I yeah. mean, I'm, I'm amazed. Yeah, that's a good point. Because you, you couldn't just rattle this off, it would seem like. It yeah. seems like you'd have to think about, okay, what am I going to say the second one? Now, I, I realize God is guiding him. But he's using the author's words and all that to, to get that parallel understanding. And do you think there's a connection to like potentially using this in an oral tradition, kind of a, being able to speak it and hear it, making that a little bit more clear? Yes, I, I'm, I'm convinced that's what it's for. Because, I mean, usually um, 
you know, a lot of times when we're talking, we don't always catch maybe what the person is saying. If it's said in a slightly different way, the second time the person going, oh, now I get it. And so maybe that's partially intended for the oral re- listener to, to hear those things and, and maybe get a slightly different nuance the second time that actually helps clarify things. Mm. Yeah. Mm. All right. So that's our, that's Hebrew parallelism. Yeah. Let's move on to the next and, one. Is... And I think to tell you the truth, yeah. you're going to see that regularly in the book. So that's why we put it first because it's so common in the book. And probably throughout the Old Testament. It, 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 quite in a bit. Poetic books, it, especially least, right? in the prophets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The second one is a play on words. And these ones, a lot of times we won't even catch them in English because the the word is going to sound alike in Hebrew. But unless you can match it in, uh, you know, in English, it's going to be pretty hard. Actually, there's one, before we do that, there is one place in, in Genesis 3.15 when he says she, is called, she will be called Ish, or, or she'll be called Isha because she's taken from Ish. So, so there's a play on that word. What we do in English is we say, we try to say she will be called woman because she's taken from man. Oh. So the, it almost sounds like they're trying to match the Hebrew sounding words with English sounding words. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a lot of times they don't do that. And, and this one is a, an example where it didn't actually, you, you would never know this if you didn't know uh, what Hebrew sounded like and yeah. stuff like that. Okay. So in, in Isaiah 5, 7, it says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. This is like the climax. And the men of Judah, his delightful plant. See, that's actually poetic uh, Hebrew parallelism too, right? Oh, thus, yeah. he, thus he looked for justice, mishpat, okay? But behold, blood, blood said, mishpat, okay? So the mishpat uh, versus mispak. So. Yeah. They would have caught that. That would have right. been enough for them to say, oh, that's a play on words. And so it yeah. would have caught their interest. An opposite somehow, uh-huh. right? Justice yeah, and yeah. bloodshed. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Even though the words sound alike, they mean totally opposite. Yeah. yeah. The second bunch are the same way. So he, he was looking for righteousness, sadaka, but behold, a cry of distress, sa'aka. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I hate to say that because it sounds like, like I'm swearing or something, but, but, but you can tell Sadaka versus Sa'aka. And, and once again, they would have caught that. That would have been perfect for their ears to say, oh, so, so it would have had a meaning and then it would have been a, a cute little thing that he did to throw it in to, just to remind him of it. Right. And once again, like you said before, they're totally opposite. Yeah. So he looked for righteousness and got a cry of distress. Yeah. You're so. really highlighting that. Yeah. Even though these sound so similar, you know, there's so such different kind of things. Yeah. You know, so I thought has the, a weight to it when you hear it. I think. Yeah. I was an English major in college, so we looked at a lot of this kind of stuff. But that was like Shakespeare, like crazy. Yeah. A lot of times it'd be double or triple meanings on oh, words, yeah. oh. and it was a way even, you know, I mean, there's people who think this at least that he could be critical, perhaps of like whoever's in charge of ruling party, sure. you know, there's a way you could say it without saying it. Yeah. And without and getting in trouble. kind of get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it'd be like, well, it, you know, it meant something else. You know, you always had a little bit of yeah. little space in there, but it's, it was so specific even to that, yeah. that audience that today you read Shakespeare, it would, you wouldn't yeah. know, you know, the word meaning has changed. Even if we can, yeah. you know, read it or whatever, it would be so different. And if, if you expect Shakespeare could do this kind of thing, imagine what a divine author could do. Right. You know, right. he's going to have these plays in there and it's going to make a lot of sense and it'll, it'll be cute and, and wise all at the same time. Yeah. So. Now, 
What's the best way for a person reading an English translation? Like, is this something that may pop up in a study Bible? Do, they, is it, it, do you need a commentary maybe? To yeah, I think your commentary kind of would probably do it. A study Bible may, but usually a study Bible does more like a, a topic or something like that. It'll mm. it'll remind you of other places where it is or something like that. But I think your your commentary would be the best place to get these play on words. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, so, let's move on to our next one. So that one's kind of fun. That's a good one. Yeah. Similes. Okay. Similes are trying to equate two things with the name like or as. Right. Okay. You're defining the relationship. Yeah. All right. So here in Isaiah 1.8, the daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, Mm -hmm. like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. So there's actually three in that one. There's three connections that he's trying to give examples of or making connections to. So that's that's unusual. You don't usually don't have that many in a, yeah, like a verse. Yeah. Now what how is this working in Hebrew? Uh-huh. What's the clue that we're looking at a simile in, in the Hebrew? Um you would probably have the word like in Hebrew. Okay. And so it would yeah. It usually it's the, the it's a pretty uh, straight translation ka and and so it would be on yeah, it would be on each one of those uh words. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The next one is Isaiah one nine. <clears throat> Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. Okay. So, hey, first of all, that would have really caught them off guard. Later on, he calls them Sodom and, Sodom and Gomorrah. So he gets even specific. Well, that would have been an image from a lot, you know, in Genesis that they would have been aware of. And so when he likens them to Sodom and Gomorrah, that's, and now this one doesn't do that, but, the, but later on, he is going to call them Sodom and Gomorrah. So he's using a simile here, but later on, he connects it to them. And and they caught it. I'm sure they were angry listening to that. They wouldn't think they were like Sodom and Gomorrah. Of course, right. Yeah. Right. So that's our simile or example. Was, um, you know, the connections of liken, likening several things together. How far do you think you can relate these two items? When you say like daughter of Zion yeah. is left like a shelter in a vineyard, how yeah. narrow do you think that is yeah. in that definition? You know, in this one... It actually is pretty clear. Uh, it's trying to give you an image of what it looks like. And that's actually, this is one of the verses that helps us to, to um, date um, chapter one of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. When, he's, when he's saying that the daughter of Zion is left like a, a, a shelter in a vineyard, basically what he's saying is that Jerusalem is sticking up and everything else is, well, in actual fact, that's exactly what happened in 701. Mm-hmm. The Assyrians came in, destroyed all the nation of Judah, and Jerusalem was the only thing spared. So it's sticking up. And actually, I have a picture of uh, of Jerusalem, which is on a hill. You know, especially right. Zion is on a hill. So that would have that would have fit that picture just perfectly. Yeah. Okay. So so it's it's that clear. N- not all of them are that yeah. uh, explicit, but these these yeah. Those uh, three ones seem work. to be that explicit. Yeah. That's that one. Chiasm. This one. This one. People have heard the term, but usually don't know what it means. So we'll try to try to explain. I've, I've got a good example here from Isaiah 7, uh, verses 15 through 16. Um, and usually what happens, you've got A and then B, the second unit, and then B prime, which matches B, and then A prime, which matches A. Okay? And, and the way it came about is the Greek letter key 
it begins right. with a X like, and, yeah. and it may not exactly give you that format, but it's telling you that the two in, beside, in the middle are matching and the two outside are matching. Right. Now that actually helps on this verse, these two verses quite a bit. First of all, let's look at the inside part. Yeah. At that time, he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. Okay. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good. Those are clearly matching. All right. So that means that A and A prime are matching. And that's the part that you would never know. So look what it says. He will eat curds and honey. The land of the two kings you dread will be forsaken. So it's actually helping modify, help us understand what's it mean to eat curds and honey? Well, what it means is the land of the two kings you dread will be forsaken. So mm. how is he going to eat curds and honey? Well, in the context, it's, it's talking about, at least I think, it's talking about when Syria and the northern kingdom, Israel, are destroyed, this child will be eating curds and honey. So the land of two kings you dread will be forsaken. That's Syria and Israel. At that time, right. this child who's going to be born in chapter four, in verse mm-hmm. fourteen, mm-hmm. will eat curds and honey. Right. So it's helping you to know. And, and the way I got that actually was because I knew the two inner side, uh, you yeah, know, B and B clearly, prime, exactly. clearly related. Yeah. And and in a way, a chiasm maybe is similar to parallelism. Okay. Uh, but there's a reversal. Yeah. Right. Like you may have more units. Yeah. You know. Um, but then there's like a uh, whatever order the first units are in, there will be a reversal. Yeah. In the second. So yeah. I, when I was in seminary, I always thought of it more as a, like an arc or a V shape. That's okay. kind of how I had it in my mind. Almost yeah. like if you're on a bike <laughs> going off a ramp, you kind of launch from the ramp. <laughs> And then you land on the other side, the ground, or hopefully okay. you land well. Yeah, yeah, but the, those two things are related. Yeah. There's a period where you're kind of moving up in the air and a period where you're coming down. Okay. That those are related. And in the middle, there's like a, a vertex, I guess, or okay. whatever. You, you hit a high point, you know, and you're, you're right in the very center of this arc, and then you start coming down. Yeah. Now, the only problem is um, your vertex, or, you know, vertex at the top yeah. is actually going to be in the next one, the palistrophe. The chiasm doesn't have anything in between. A centerpiece. That... Right. 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 So these two are and, – and a chiasm only has four units, where a palistrophe could have many more. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of seems like, at least in this example, it's almost like the chiasm is kind of working like a logic problem. Kind of like this thing is related, as this thing is related to this other thing. Yeah, that's good. You know, this, you know, this other object is related. You can kind of like figure out how that relationship works, you know. Yeah. Um, Because I I think you're right. You wouldn't necessarily connect. He will eat curds and honey to the land whose two kings you dread, but it's telling us those are connected. Yeah. It's a way yeah. to tell us those things are connected. Yeah. I, I think the author is intentionally doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, chiasms are pretty common. Yes. In both uh, Old and New Testament, really, right? Yes. Uh, and you, you'll see them a lot in the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're less rare in poetry, or I mean in um, uh, the prophets, but oh. there are enough that, that you can spot them. And they're, they're helpful. As you can see here, I think this is actually helping explain something to us. Yeah. yeah. This one is a pretty obvious one because there's like, what, six, seven words yeah. that are repeated. A <laughs> yeah. pretty a pretty specific phrase would be easy. Yeah. Is that the best way to find it? Is it going to be repeated phrases? Can it be repeated ideas? 
ideas yeah, to yeah. find those kind of yeah. you know it, rela- it, it can relations. even be grammar um, you oh. know the, the grammar can even do it but those are really hard to catch and I yeah, think I bet, you'd have yeah. to catch those in Hebrew yeah um, but it would seem like to me that if you can find units that um, say the same thing in the middle then find out if the uh, other two uh, usually Usually they're quite clear, so you'd usually catch them, I think. And usually, is it the the middle ones, the closer to the center, the ones that are going to be uh, that are that are going to have the but sometimes your phrases. A and A prime are going to be Those almost the exact. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, like, um, but these are things that my Sunday school class can catch. We've been going through the Psalms, mm. and and they seem to be able to pick them out too. So, so I think that if you're finding that much similarities, now remember, it's different than your Hebrew parallelism because the Hebrew parallelism has the two units right next to each other. Right. These are separated by two parallel units too. Sure, and they can be several units long too. Sure, like this example is. Oh, two units and two units, essentially. Yeah, and usually I argue that a chiasm is basically going to stick to this. It's going oh, to have okay. your four so it will parts. Be the, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. almost always going to be like that. Yeah. Okay. So it is a little bit more maybe of a narrow definition yeah. here. Yeah. So that you can catch them, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. merism is another thing that I think we need to know about. Yeah, that was a word I wasn't familiar with, yeah. actually. It, it means to take the extremes, and it means everything in between. So, so like my bottom one, Isaiah 1, 2 says, listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth. I'm assuming that means everybody better be listening. You know, if it's right. everything on the heavens and everything in the earth, then I assume everything should be listening. Yeah. Uh, the other one is kind of interesting, too. So the Lord cuts off head and tail from, from Israel. So notice the head and the tail. Um, um, yeah. it's, it, I think it's thinking about a horse. So you've got the head at the beginning, tail at the end. Yeah. Okay, from Israel, both palm branch and bulrush. So palm branch is going to be clear at the very top. Your, yeah. Uh, bulrush is going to be down on the, the bottom. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it means that he's going to cut off everything from the head to the tail and from the palm branch to the bulrush. So that means everything, I the think. The whole thing. And then it actually helps clarify it. So in verse 15, it says, and the head is the elder and honorable man, mm. and the prophet who teaches falsehood is the tail. It defines them. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I often say, I don't think it means the tail. It's what the tail's connected oh, yeah, to. Right. Yeah, right. But yeah. can you see what he thinks of a oh, prophet sure. that's telling the falsehood? Yeah, right. right. It, because it's so deceptive. You yeah. know, they think that this guy's speaking for God, and right. he's not. Right. And so I can see why he'd be the lowest of the low in, yeah. in God's mind. Actually, I found another good example. Yeah? Isaiah seven eleven. I can't really take too much credit for this. I got it in your commentary. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Make it as deep as Sheol oh, yeah. or as high as heaven. Yeah. That's a good one because that's so obvious, the, like the extremes you have there. And I think yeah. kind of like, you know, oh, yeah, well, heavens remember, and earth is like in the, you know, yeah. what's and not included in, in that. in the context of that passage, mm-hmm. he's asking uh, Ahaz to, to request a sign from him. And he's saying, it can be anything, as high as heaven or as low as Sheol. Yeah. That's yeah. that's amazing. Uh, that's a gracious God, isn't it? That can yeah. that's willing to to give him a choice of his sign, and it can be anything. Right. So I thought right. that's amazing. And so, how is this functioning? Is yeah. this kind of like an illustrative kind of like? Um, I mean, obviously, it's more than to bring color into the text, but is it a way to yeah. kind of maybe bring something? A very real kind of metaphor to it, something concrete. Well, uh, like your first one, where, where God's coming in and cutting off the head and the tail, he's going to wipe out all of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, except the remnant. 
but it's going to be serious punishment that yeah. he's got. And, yeah. and so I think that's to remind us, ooh, this is going to be a bad, a serious punishment that God's, right. the nation's going to go through. Right. All right, let's go for the next one. Here's okay. palistrophe. A palistrophe. These, there's more in the biblical text than you think sometimes. And I, this was the first one I found. So, so it was, in my mind, this one was one of the clearest ones. But then um, later I found one in Isaiah 1. And I think I can show you that too. Okay. But, but look at this one. It starts with a song of the vineyard. Okay. Uh, okay. And that's if, in Isaiah 5? Yeah. So and this it, is part of uh, that subsection, Isaiah Two through twelve, yes. right? That's one yep. of the bigger sections in there. This is a portion of that. Yep, and we're going to go from five to twelve. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, where once again you've got this the third or um, introduction in chapter thirteen, yeah. so that's a good breaking point. Mm-hmm. But it starts with a song of the vineyard, and if you remember, it's 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 got that play on on the image where um, he he invites the 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 people that are are listening to to help judge this vineyard you know it's it's the vineyard owner did everything he uh, um put put rocks around it for a fence he he took out all the weeds he built a um wine vat in it and mm-hmm. got it all ready or wine press in it yeah. and it turned out to be sour grapes so we asked the people what should i do with it yeah. and and I'm sure they're all saying, it doesn't say this, but I'm sure they're all saying, well, destroy yeah. it. You There's know, an obvious they, answer. Yeah, they, yeah you're not. not doing, it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing, destroy it. And then he turns the tables on them and says, it's you guys. It's yeah. the nation of Israel. Right. So that's how the this palisso starts. Yeah. It ends with a song of thanksgiving. Mm. What's interesting is by the time it gets to chapter 12, God has worked his way through the judgments and stuff like that, so that they can actually praise God for bringing a remnant through for them. Right. So in chapter 12, it, it just mentions a little thing. It says, uh, you were angry with us for a little while. And then he just starts praising God for delivering them and, and offering them salvation. So it's really interesting. Starts off with a real bad picture, ends with a just amazing psalm of praise. So we've got a beginning and end. Yeah. Related. Yep. Sounds like we're getting into something kind of like a chiasm. Okay, good. And so this would be, a palistrophe would be something like a, a form of a chiasm? Yeah. Is that only, kind of what it, to I, describe it? I sometimes say it is a, it is, it's an extended chiasm. Okay. Only there's one more thing. There's something usually in the middle that these things balance around, which that's not in a chiasm usually. Okay. Yeah. So so you, so it's I, I guess you'd say it's a more specific kind of um yeah. chiasm if, if or figure speech. It uses some of the pieces. Uh-huh. It's relating things. Uh there's yeah. a kind of parallelism that's reversed, yeah. right? Think exactly. as they move that towards part. the middle. Yeah. Um so that part's like a chiasm, but what makes it different is typically it's longer. This cover, I mean obviously yeah. this covers like 7 chapters, yeah, right? right? I mean that's yeah. very long. Yeah. Uh and then there's a there's like a high point in the middle. Yep. That's really what everything is leading towards. It's all about the middle. Yeah. A chiasm is more about either the ends or could be how those two things in the middle relate or relate something. to each other. Yeah. But in this way, a palistrophe is always about the middle. Yeah. I it's think leading so. towards something in the center. Let's jump to that middle for a minute. Let's do that. Versus, uh, if you look at it as chapter one through uh, nine, sec- seven, and basically what you've got there is, is that's sometimes called the Isianic ne- uh, um, memoir. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is because almost all of it is in first person. 
okay. which is really rare in the book. Uh, there's only a couple other places where first person even occurs, you know, I, well, probably five altogether. Yeah. But that's rare to have a whole section that's in first person. Now, it is interesting. Chapter seven is actually back to third person. But if you you remember, we talked about Isaiah being a scribe right. and that he pretty much wrote about the uh, Chronicles tells us he wrote about the the, the events of U, Uzziah. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that chapter seven is that Isaiah had already written about uh, the Syrophemite war in his history. And so he took that and in this stuff that's almost all first person, he just stuck that in because he had already written it. Mm. So it's it's by him anyway. And so it's I think I think that's how come you've got this third person in the section right in the middle of there. Yeah. yeah. Now one other thing is do you remember in chapter six is Isaiah's call? So oh, sure. Yeah. So it yeah. starts with his call and commission. He then goes to these two signs that are there. And then it ends in chapter nine with this great thing about this Messiah coming. So what I understand is that Isaiah is going to be the one that gets them from the song of the vineyard to the song of Thanksgiving. His, mm-hmm. his main job is to tell them that they need to repent and they've got to obey God. And so it seems like to me, that's why that's highlighted. It's Isaiah's job to, to do his best to try to tell him that. Now, right. he, God even lets him know it's not going to work, but your job is to do it. And so he's, he's pretty much telling them the message, even though they rebel against it and all that. Right. So, so I, think, I think when I found this, I realized that the songs on the end make a lot of sense. They're balancing. And then I've got six woe oracles in chapter five. They're matched by one big oracle in chapters t- uh, chapter 10 and 11. Mm-hmm. And then there's uplifted hand oracles. In, uh, there's one in chapter five, uh, 24, th- or 24 through 30. And then there's four uplifted hand oracles in chapter nine, eight through 10, four. Now, what's interesting, uplifted hand oracles, they, they only occur in Isaiah. As far as I can tell, um, there are a, a few phrases in Isaiah that are similar to this, but these are definitely what, what they're a unique kind of oracle right. where God has already punished them to some extent, but because they didn't get it, his hand is still lifted up. So, and it means it's coming down in, in, um, more, more punishment. Right. So it seems like that because those are such unique things. Now, some of the, um, Commentators argue that that these were together at some point, and now they've got split. Well, that doesn't, in my mind, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense right. unless you've got a structure that was intended to do that. Right. So, so when I found that you had the 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 matching parts on both sides, I thought, oh, that actually helps me to know, especially when those uplifted hand oracles are so rare and don't occur anywhere else in the Bible that I can tell. How did you go about? discovering this? Was it seeing yeah. the ends, the song of the vineyard and song of Thanksgiving? Is that kind of what clued you in that maybe there's something going on? Or did you start in the middle? No, I, I think I started at the end, but then I realized uplifted hand oracles. And then I That's looked the thing and that... found some war, war oracles on both sides. Right. And I thought, or woe oracles on both sides. And I thought, wow, that is an interesting structure. Yeah, And it, and it seemed really clear to me. Yeah. But in this okay. case, it seems like the second half be a lot longer than the first half of this palistrophe. Is that true, A? And then like, if, if it is, the palistrophes, are they more dependent on ideas being kind of reflected to each other? 
Um, I, I also think you got to see key words like uplifted okay. hand oracle was pretty yeah, clear yeah, yeah. in both of those. So there's uh, a phrase in there that's going to yeah. be kind of specific. Or, or your woe. Um, each one of those begins with a woe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those are pretty clear woe oracles too. We're thinking of this kind of right now as the middle, right? You know, is kind of being the most important part. But it's obviously a lot closer. If you were just yeah. reading verse by verse, it would be closer to the beginning, yeah, than the end. Yeah. So it's really more about these terms. And the idea is that's where you're getting the balance and the balance so. from. Yeah. And you're right. I think I think you've got to look for them or I don't think they'll automatically pop up. Yeah. Although, um, why didn't you go to chapter one? Because this one, you know, this one is spread over seven chapters, yeah. like you said. But in chapter one, you've got this one over about six verses. Okay. So okay. if you go to chapter one, verse 21 through 26... And this one, I think, is pretty clear. Look how it starts. How the faithful city has become a harlot. She was full of justice, righteousness once lodged in her, but now murders. So it starts off that you had this faithful city, and now look at her. She's corrupt, okay? Mm-hmm. Your silver has become dross. Your drink diluted with water. Your rulers are rebels, companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and chases after rewards. They do not defend the orphan, nor the widow's plea uh, come before them. Okay, you can see that's definitely getting worse and worse yeah. and worse, okay? Now, look at verse 24. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, declares, I will be relieved of my adversaries and avenged of my foes. That's basically summarizing who the people are that love a bribe and uh, the widow's plea doesn't come before them. Mm. I will turn my hand against them and I will smell the way your dross as with lie. There it right, is. The we had, Yeah, we had that yeah. in verse 22. Uh, I I will remove all your alloy. Then I will restore your judges as the first and your counselors as at the beginning. That's kind of matching verse 21. Mm -hmm. And then after that, you will be called a a city of righteousness, a faithful city. So now you've got the matching terms. Yeah, Yeah, the faithful city there. Mm -hmm. So it seems like to me that one is easier to spot because you've got within a couple of verses, um, all the, all the things that are reversing and you have those exact words that have. And once again, if that's true, then verse 24, when God stands up to judge, yep. it makes some sense. That's the, yeah, that, that's, that's the that center. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. The important thing you need to walk away with understanding in this passage is that God stands up and declares yeah. it, and that's when things change. Now, one interesting thing is that chiasm kind of summarizes the whole book again. Oh, sure. The, it's that same kind of yeah, model. You yeah. start out with this wicked... Well, this one started out as a righteous nation, but then it, or city. But then it says, but it got corrupt. God's then going to step in and bring restoration. And that's what the whole book's about. So that chiasm actually fits really well. And I would... I think, I mean, smelting away dross, that's yeah. inferring a remnant, you know, a piece yeah. that's left, I would imagine, right? Yeah. Okay, uh, what's our next uh, What's our next uh, literary technique here? Oh, we're out. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's all of them. <laughs> There's a lot more in Isaiah. Yeah, I'm These sure These are key are. ones we need to know yeah. as we go through it. These are terms that'll probably come up a lot as we're discussing it. Oh, I did start on the date. Um, so I started to talk about the date of the book, the message, um, and that's actually going to be really important because chapter one kind of, remember I told you that verses um, uh, eight and nine highlight that idea of, of Jerusalem being destroyed, but or I'm sorry, the, uh, Judah being destroyed, but the city is standing up oh, like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, um, a hut in a 
Yeah, in the vineyard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. or a, uh, there, there's actually yeah, there's it's two terms real similar. One's yeah. in in a cucumber field, Cucumbers and one's in a. Yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> but the date of the book actually helps you. So so chapter one, I actually think is dated to about 701. Mm-hmm. That means it's not the earliest thing in the book. Isaiah said, you know, a lot of times the prophets start with an introduction that gives. Who, when they were, uh, when it was being written to, and and who who was uh, the kings at the time? A lot of times, and so this one actually helps us. So you've got um, Uzziah, who's dated from about seven. Uh, let's just use seven ninety two to uh, seven thirty nine, somewhere in that time frame. So so that means if you go to chapter six, it says in the year of King Uzziah's death. Okay. So let's say 740 round number. Okay. So now you know that probably there wasn't much that Isaiah had in uh, in the biblical text that's about Uzziah's time, because that, that chapter six is basically his call is probably uh, like one of the first things in his life was his oh, call. Sure. Right. So that would make sense. So if that was about the first time, then um, if you go to chapters, uh, Isaiah 37, uh, 37 through 38, because that, that would actually is probably the last thing that's in Isaiah's lifetime. Here's what it says. Then the angel of the Lord went and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. See, we now know that's 701. Okay. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And it came about as he was worshiping in the God uh, in the house of his God, in his rock, his God, that Adramelech and Sherezar, his sons, killed him with a sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat, and Esarhaddon became son, uh, uh, his son became king in his place. Now we know that Esarhaddon started at 681. So if that's the last thing that Isaiah would have lived in, okay, mm. and, and known about probably, then that means from about 740 to 681 is is like Isaiah's time frame. Okay. That's actually quite long. So that's that's um, basically 60 years. Yeah. Most prophets don't prophesy that long. Right. Uh, Daniel is one of the ones that does seem to prophesy for that long. But Isaiah's got an awful long time that he's prophesying. And if that's, and it, let's, you know, let's say he's got 60 years of prophesying. Let's say he doesn't even start till he's probably 20 or 30. Yeah. Well, that's going to make him an old man by the yeah. time he's done. Yeah. So, so that, that gives us some dates now to help put in perspective what chapter one is, is about, but then his call comes in chapter six. That's, that's kind of odd that the, his call doesn't come until chapter six. You'd expect it much earlier. So well, it doesn't because of the structure, I think. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was about to ask. So this yeah. is probably a structural reason. I think so. Right. We yeah. may think of it probably like in a more modern Western, we kind of want things in order. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we like to start at the, you know, yeah. and just kind of go through chronologically. Yeah. Why do you think it's set up this way? Yeah. I, my understanding is that there's there's two sections before chapter six comes around. One is the introduction. That one's yeah. that one's pretty clear, and it gives the the basically the message of what's going to happen to Israel. They're yeah. going to be judged, and God's going to deliver them. Okay. Then you go through chapters two through four, and it's got a totally different structure, but it says the same message again, only with more detail. Then you get to chapter six, and you've got the, well, actually, chapter five, if you remember, is the song, right? right? right. And then 
you've got that whole palystrophe thing that's going to go over it again. So I think what's right. happening is that these are, are the, if, if a person's reading that, knowing that structure, they realize that it's just going over again and again the message that God has. You're going to, you're, you're, in, you're in sin now. You're going to be punished. But good news is God's going to restore you. And you hear that message three times before you get to chapter five. So do you think I would be overstating it if I said one thing we can learn from that is that the theme here is maybe even more important than like... Who does it? Yeah. Yeah. Like this is something that's like really key. You have to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. That would kind of make sense as it gets passed down to like further generations, I think. Right. I mean, like this is the most important thing you need to know out of this writing. Yeah. And I, and I think that if you, if it goes over it like three times, you'd probably start getting it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So I think that's what the author's doing. And especially if every once in a while you put these palistros in there where that highlight that theme one more time. Yeah. So I would think by the time you get to chapter five, you've already been over this three and four times. You, you should be getting it. Yeah. yeah. So really all these literary techniques are just re re-emphasizing Maybe not in every example, but in a lot of ways, they're re-emphasizing theme, main point of this yeah. book, main point of Isaiah's prophecy. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations for other resources people can can access to learn more about literary techniques? What's the yeah. best place for a person who wants to know more about this to go? Um, I would say commentaries should be able to spot these. Uh, not every commentary will highlight these kind of things. Um, there are other, uh, maybe maybe the easiest way <laughs> is to maybe go um, into a, a, a book that actually talks about literary uh, hmm. structures or literary technique and just see, uh, if, especially if it's in Isaiah. I, I've, I've, I think I've seen a book called Literary Technique in Isaiah. Oh. And so, and I know there's a book on wisdom uh, in Isaiah, wisdom elements in Isaiah. Okay. So there's a lot of times things like that. And I also know of another book that that does like tree images or family images or things like that, that they highlight a theme that might also help us uh, get some of these. Find some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think, I think your best bet, maybe if you could just uh, now know that these are things that you'd be looking for. Yeah. Um, and if you've, you know, I always sometimes go on the internet just to find uh, information oh, sure, yeah. about what does it mean, and then where do you find them? And sometimes they'll have some examples, maybe in Isaiah. I think some of these, probably about half, maybe a little more than half of these, you should be able to recognize yeah. in English, you know? Yeah, And yeah. maybe it's just kind of reading a little slower, Yeah, kind of trying to like, don't take the step too fast of trying to figure out what this means. Just look yeah. at the text look and just look for those kind of patterns and stuff. Maybe take some notes. That, that'd probably go a long way. And maybe another book that would be really helpful. There's one by Watson on um, Hebrew po poetry. Okay. And that one would be real helpful to see yeah. how does that parallelism work. And it, it's it's sometimes quite complicated, but I, I think that if you could catch the the main parts of it, you, 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 you ought to be able to spot that. Yeah, you get pretty far probably. Yeah. Okay. Can I can I just highlight one more time that idea yeah. of the history? If you know the history, it the book makes a lot more sense. Mm. And so maybe kind of what I did in my commentary was to try to highlight some of the major times like the Syro-Ephraimite War, what happened then? Um, 701, what happened then? Uh, 586, what happened then? So if you know kind of the big structure, 
some of these things will make a lot more sense how they fit into it and stuff like that. So, so I think that might be your best thing is, is yeah. to get a little history under your belt and then start understanding, uh, you know, when are these things uh, happening? Because cause if, if you know that in the year of King Uzziah's death, and you know, that's actually, um, Uzziah was actually a pretty good king, but at the end of his life, he went into the temple and sacrificed um like a, a, a sacrifice, make it made a sacrifice he wasn't supposed to, and he got leprosy. Mm. So if you knew that, and then so so here the human king just got something really bad happened to him, and now Isaiah sent to that time period. Right. So that really so here's here's in the year that King Uzziah died, God sends Isaiah. So so it would actually right. help you to understand the history yeah. some too. So that's, that's not why, just a historical statement. That's yeah. telling you something yeah. very specific cuz they all know how Uzziah ended. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's good. Well, uh, thank you again for your time, um, yeah. and thank you to all of our listeners and be sure to join us next time as we study Isaiah. Yeah.